0: Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I have the honor to speak with Dr. Leslie Carr. Dr. Carr is a licensed clinical psychologist who has worked in a variety of environments over the years, including inpatient psychiatric hospitals and community mental health settings. She has also been in private practice for over a decade. Her passion is in educating people about mental health and mental illness, dissolving the false binary between the two, and helping people to focus on holistic approaches to wellness. Her work in public psychoeducation has been featured in the Huffington Post, the LA Times and ABC News, among other places. And she's the host of a podcast which explores the nature versus nurture debate by episodically explaining how people respond to their environment in complicated ways. It's called The Nature of Nurture. Today, we talk a bit more about our podcast as well as the interplay between nature versus nurture. Welcome, Leslie. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Dr. Leslie Carr. Welcome, Leslie.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Josephine. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yes. So one reason why I wanted to have a conversation with you on this podcast is because you have a podcast and it's called The Nature of Nurture. Yes. And I'm just so curious to hear about what kind of brought on this idea about this podcast and what you focus on.
1: Well, I will tell you all about that. And I am so excited to have this conversation with you because I think it's going to be very interesting to have this conversation with a psychiatrist. And I look forward to just sort of seeing all the directions we can take this in. But as a clinical psychologist, you know, I, I do what I do in part because I had gone to therapy for the first time when I was a kid. I My family had had a couple of challenges, but namely my mother had a couple of massive brain hemorrhages when I was uh, about seven years old. And so by the time I was 10 between that and my parents separating and getting divorced they decided to put me in therapy and it ended up being this really transformative wonderful experience for me that really shaped the direction of my life in ways that I could not have predicted at the time understandably but by the time I went to college you know I knew what I was going to major in and I took a little detour and worked in the music industry in my 20s but by the time I was you know, about 27 years old I was ready to go back to school and 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 kind of start the next phase of my life in earnest. And something that I think that I have always been really passionate about as a result of a number of different life experiences that I have had and my own experience of having gone to therapy and stuff as a kid is that I just think that as human beings, it's not terrifically easy, the experience of being alive in a lot of ways, right? Like there are traumatic experiences to be sure, but there's also just a challenging culture that we all live in and so many different cultures on the globe. I'm not trying to say there's one culture, but American culture (laughs) has its problems. And I think that we are beset by challenges innately as human beings that can make life difficult for us. A passion that I've had kind of throughout my life and particularly my adult life as a clinical psychologist is just realizing that so much of the things that people suffer with are the sort of the vicissitudes of the challenges of being alive, right? Like it's our genes and our biology matter. Absolutely. But I think that in the public consciousness, there's an idea that perhaps they matter a little bit more than in my opinion, they really do. Like all they really are is sort of the table setting, but in a lot of ways we have the meal on, (laughs) you know, it's like whatever our genetic and biological makeup is, gets expressed or not expressed as a result of the life experiences that we have, be it trauma, family relationships, the quality of our relationships in general, a lot of that is what we call epigenetics. And I'll pause here so that I can let you get a word in edgewise. But you know that is what I'm kind of looking to explore with my podcast, just sort of how our genes yes. and biology come together with our life experiences to make us who we are.
0: Right. No, I mean I think that's all very true. You think I love the analogy of this table setting, right? And it depends what you're you're served.
1: <laughs> exactly. And I think that what a lot of people underestimate is that even with no genetic predisposition to anything in our mental health, if you experience enough trauma or parental neglect in your early life or any of that stuff, like you're going to be vulnerable to Your mental health expressing something, even in adulthood. And I I just personally think that what a lot of people underestimate when they're not mental health professionals is the sort of primacy of our early childhood development in terms of how it sort of sets the stage for everything else that we experience in life. And, you know, parenting is really hard, like in the same way that being a person is hard, parenting is hard, as people love to say, like, there's no manual for it, right? Right. And until very recently, everybody was just doing their best. Like, I hope this doesn't sort of send us too much down a kind of rabbit hole, but something that I think about a lot is the fact that until about a hundred years ago, and until far more recently than that, did it become actually popular to go to therapy. Therapy was invented about a hundred years ago. And prior to that, it was just a bunch of people, you know, basically without indoor plumbing, without modern electricity, without, you know, like living very hard lives, with no one to help them understand what they were experiencing. And we are the end result of all of that. <laughs> you know, millennia of life being hard for people.
0: Well, one question I want to ask you is so, what's your first episode? What did you decide? So, I mean, having this idea about this podcast, right? what was your focus for the very first episode?
1: The very first episode of the very first season was a panel discussion that I had. It actually happened to be filmed live and then we turned it into a podcast, but it was a panel discussion that I did where I facilitated the conversation and I had three colleagues of mine, of ours in the big scheme of things, who are all clinical psychologists who were my panelist's helping people to understand what is happening in their mental health when it feels like something is going wrong. Mm -hmm. And we sort of used COVID as the backdrop for it. And it's funny because I had conceptualized the podcast or the, uh, the everything, the panel discussion and the podcast and everything before COVID hit. But we ended up having the conversation in December of 2020. So everyone had been living with the pandemic for, you know, about eight months already and it ended up i think two things one is providing us with a really good framework for having the conversation in a way that everyone can understand and furthermore i would actually even take it one step further and say that i think that covid in general has been sort of a masterclass for a lot of people about our mental health like the that idea that even if you know you have nothing wrong in your genetic architecture even if you had a healthy family growing up. A lot of people experienced the pandemic as extremely challenging because human beings are not meant to be so isolated. We're not meant to be at home on our computers all the time. Like, you know, it was just a naturally challenging thing that made a lot of people feel a lot of things, you know, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, all of that stuff. Right.
0: So that was the first episode. The other question I have is what's your favorite episode? For the listener who might be wondering that they want to sample the podcast, but what what can they focus on? But it probably depends on what they're looking for, what they want out of it.
1: Absolutely. I think it really depends. You know, I would like to believe that there's there's something that's a little bit for everybody. I was sending somebody an email this morning where I had to pull a couple samples that I thought would be useful for them. So I kind of can't help but think about it through that framework. But, you know, one of my favorite episodes is season one, episode five. I had an interview with a man named Corey Ponder about sort of what it's like to be Black in America right now, or at least what it was like at the time of the recording. It's not to say that things have changed much, but it wasn't really about the Black Lives Matter movement per se so much as it was talking to him as a Black man and a DEI expert about sort of the trauma of being Black in America, which I also think is a really good example of sort of the innate trauma of the human experience in the sense that I think a lot of people, most people have a heavy weight to carry of some kind, you know, everyone's got a different one, but that is a, an experience that I'm very sensitive to. It's something that matters a lot to me. So that was a cool Mm -hmm. episode. Got it. I will have to check that one out. So,
0: I mean, I know we had talked about before we started recording about having a conversation about nature versus nurture, but I do also wonder if we just think about it exactly the same way, right? Yeah. I think maybe one thing I wanted to bring up about the discussion about nature versus nurture has to do with there are some people that there is a much heavier weight in terms of how nature or genetics is going to express themselves in terms yeah. of someone's behavior, life experience, right? And other people, it's just tilted the other direction, that it's it's more about the nurture or live life experience that takes the heavier weight in terms of expression.
1: For that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and there are a couple of different thoughts that I have about that, but I think one of the things that I think is really interesting that I just would love to point out to our listeners or viewers is that it's interesting to think that I, I think mental health professionals of any stripe, whether you're a psychiatrist, a psychologist, we tend to look at this really similarly, but what I have noticed that I just think is a shame. And I would love to hear your thoughts about this is that You know, in the United States, I think antidepressants are largely really overprescribed, but partially because they're being prescribed by general practitioners and primary care physicians. As a therapist, I often have the experience of someone making an appointment with me where an antidepressant has already been prescribed by their PCP or their GP Then they eventually find me, and not only does it sort of not feel to them even like an antidepressant was the right fit for them, sometimes they actually find it a little bit traumatizing because they know as a person who's been living their lives their whole lives, there's a feeling of like, but something happened to me, so why am I being given a pill And I just think that that's a conversation that we all need to be having more, you know, that it's not, it's not that antidepressants are never the right fit. And certainly as a psychiatrist, you know, you have the power to prescribe them, but it's interesting to think that I just, I wish the conversation that we could have as a culture is like mental health professionals are the people that should be prescribing those medications, not primary care physicians.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to this idea of access to certain types of care, right? Yeah. So of course, in the perfect world, you should have specialists, psychiatrists prescribing these medications. But the reality is, is that there's just not that many of us. And so if it's, you know, a debate between, you know, not being able to access needed treatment versus only being able to access it through specialists, I would say, you know, I would prefer it to be more available to more people. Right. And so you have to think about the access question, but you also brought up this idea about when do you think about medication versus therapy? I mean, in the perfect world, I would want every single person I prescribe medication to, to have a strong therapeutic connection with a clinician who can provide weekly therapy services to really help understand kind of the emergence of why they have had a depressive or anxious episode, right? Mm -hmm. To help them learn skills to be able to cope with, say, for example, anxiety, so they don't have to rely on medication for the rest of their lives, right? That would be Mm -hmm the perfect scenario and you know i i love when i can work collaboratively with a clinician who is providing therapy to a patient every week or every other week you kind of just have to in some ways not only meet the patient where they're at financially but in another or in terms of just access to care that they can access right yeah. um, but this idea that some people just aren't open to therapy
1: and some people are not some people are not some people are though but don't get there in part because someone has been so quick to just give them a prescription right i look at it largely through the lens of everything that you said i completely agree with and i just would add that i think there's also kind of an educational component to this which is to say that the more that we can help people to understand that their mental health experiences are more there's more of a 360 view that we can take on these things that a lot of people will feel empowered to go seek out the help that might be a better fit for them than just sort of what Pfizer says they ought to do, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I often think about you know, medication is just one item on the menu in terms yeah. of this is a, your treatment options and possibilities in terms of how you can possibly get better. Yeah. Right. And medication is not, maybe isn't even a main course, right. It could be more of something that you think about later on, or it's on like the, I don't know, the extras menu. Right. Exactly.
1: Um, it's a sort of a side dish or, you know, Yeah. Could be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And so You just have to meet the person where they're at.
1: For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I think I just really feel for the people who are maybe not being met where they're at. You know, when I think about the patients that have come to me, where I was sort of the dessert course because they had to kind of go through everything and, but, you know, before they could find a therapist. And a lot of times, you know, when people are empowered and enterprising, you know, they make it happen for themselves. But It's been an interesting pattern that I've noticed of people actually really feeling quite upset that somebody prescribed an antidepressant when they really didn't think that that was the right fit for them. And the person wasn't really having a conversation about their life in sort of a more holistic sense, you know, but I hear you, there's a tremendous access issue. There really is.
0: But you also brought up a point as you were talking, it made me think about why I do this podcast, right? Yeah. yeah. But by the point that this podcast is out, I think I'll be past a hundred episodes And really, I began this podcast because I found myself describing to my patients the various other options on the menu for them, for their treatment. And there are so many. Um, And so it's just been such a natural thing to have these conversations with clinicians that I trust and respect in the community to say, look, this is what they have to offer. It's not really about medication. It's about other ways to think about treatment. And it's a way to also have people understand that there are so many options out there. Mm -hmm. And if I think about the hundred episodes that I have on this podcast, very few of them focus on medication.
1: Absolutely. No, that's part of why I was so excited to have this conversation with you. I know that about you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I, I find it interesting. I also, this idea about your podcast, this idea that. I wanted to ask kind of the goal of what? What are? what is your hope for the listener that you have?
1: Good question. I think that I would hope that anyone who listens to my podcast could kind of walk away from it, especially if they listen to multiple episodes or, you know, many episodes that they could walk away feeling like they maybe understand the human experience a little bit better over the course of, I do my podcast seasonally. So the first season had eight episodes the second season that i'm just wrapping up has six episodes so it's not you know it's not a ton of episodes but if people listen to let's say most of them i think they could walk away with a really comprehensive view of like what it really means to be a human living sort of in really strange and challenging times you know that there's it, i'm kind of covering a lot of different angles interviewing so for example the first episode of season 2 is with a a colleague of mine named Stephanie Pass, who's a child psychologist. So she talks a lot about dyadic work and what's happening when a child as young as two needs to be in therapy, but what it looks like to be doing that therapy with their primary caregivers, because something might be off in the way the child is being parented or something, you know, and she actually speaks really beautifully about what it's like to do that work with neurodivergent children, Mm -hmm. because so much can be done to help them and to get through if you learn how to get through or you know how to get through. So, you know, the podcast kind of takes all of these different angles, but in the end, there's just sort of this kind of holistic view of of what it means to be a human being with brains and genetic vulnerabilities, but also just living in weird times. I just think we're living in really weird times and times that are not particularly conducive to our animal nature as humans. You know, I just don't think that humans are meant to be on screens all the time, or alone all the time, you know we already in the United States had a very individualistic culture. and humans are really meant most ideally to live in community of some kind. So you know, I think that kind of stuff, there's this feeling I think I have sometimes that if people really understood how the mind works and what makes us tick, then you can make more informed choices, like let's say to be maybe more connected to people as as opposed to more isolated, or, you know, you can make informed decisions.
0: Right. Also this idea of how to shape an environment that's more natural for your human instincts and nature, right?
1: Exactly. And like what sets us up to thrive, right? You know, human beings are it's like, you know, we can talk about what goes wrong, but it's like, what goes right when we're really set up to thrive, you know, where we have ideally healthy relationships. And I'm just a really big fan of the idea that if you can isolate a problem, then you can try to fix it. Right. So if somebody is listening to this right now, one thing I always want people to know is just how incredibly wired for social relationships, the human brain is right. So if you either have relationships in your life that feel unhealthy for you, that's something that's got to be addressed on some level. But if you also feel like you don't have enough good relationships in your life, it's like, oh my goodness, get out there, like get a hobby, volunteer, think of something you like doing and go find other people who like doing the same thing. Like, We just, human beings really thrive in relationship, just of any kind, you know, social relationships, friend relationships. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm going to let us end on that note, actually, because I I actually love that note. I'm going to make sure that the listener has some information about your podcast so they can learn a bit more about all the interesting conversations that you're having. And I'm glad that we could connect today and talk a bit more about not only your podcast, but just what you feel passionate about. And thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great to be here.
0: This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories and don't forget to subscribe.